The Great Commandments tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that should compel us to share His love and our faith with others. The Great Commission tells us that as we are going, we are to make disciples of all nations. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we should be compelled to share that love, that grace and mercy with everyone else. Be here next weekend at our Live the Mission celebration as we celebrate what God has done in 2017, but also how you can be a part of what He's going to do in 2018. And uh, we are going to have a great time next weekend. Next weekend is, a, is our uh, Live the Mission uh, celebration weekend, and we're going to have a fantastic time uh, on Saturday and then on Sunday during our worship gatherings here. Uh, and then Sunday afternoon, we're going to have a big uh, family and friends kind of uh, carnival and, uh, here on the grounds, and hope you uh, will come back for that. It's going to be a great time. But, but we are a church that God has planted an enormous vision on us. God has, has given us an enormous vision for this family of faith, um, and, and, and it is powerful, and it's bigger than anything we can accomplish in our own resources. It is a huge vision, and over the next 10 years, we see God accomplishing great and mighty things through First Norfolk. We have a vision where we do honestly see the thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands of hurting people all around us in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, and we see the lostness of people around the globe. And as a church, God is equipping us and challenging us and, and adding to us so that we together uh, reach into all the seven cities of Hampton Roads. And as, as we see over the next five, uh, 10 years, we see 15,000 of First Norfolk members engaging people who are drowning in the sea of their own despair, stretching out our hand of hope and sharing the good news of rescue found in Christ with them. We see, uh, uh, we see thousands of, of small groups that have gathered around the seven cities of Hampton Roads, gathering together as, as light ships in a dark world in every neighborhood. And, and we envision over the next 10 years, starting uh, 20 new church plants where we, we go to different places, whether it's in Norfolk as we did in 2017, uh, uh, partnering with the Mission Church and helping f them find their roots and, and begin to flourish, or whether it's 
uh, planting a church, another church in Canada, or, or whether it's planting a church in Northern Virginia or, or, or in Portsmouth, wherever God leads us to plant churches over the next 10 years, we believe that he is going to call us and equip us to plant 20 new independent autonomous churches. But we also believe that God is challenging us as a church to be a church in every community, to be a neighborhood church in the different uh, regions of, the, of Hampton Road so that over the next 10 years, we are going to have 10 locations uh, for First Norfolk, not just this location on Kempsville or uh, the, the location, the new location on Volvo Parkway, but, but have eight other locations beyond that in the next 10 years so that we can be a neighborhood church in specific neighborhoods and advance the gospel and help those who are lost and swirling in the cesspool of their own sorrow because of sin, help them find relief in life through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a vision that God has given us as a church, and it is a big vision. It is an enormous vision, and we are pressing into that vision. We're pressing into that vision as, as we begin the uh, the final stages of launching this new location on Volvo Parkway. Uh, we're excited about what God is doing, how he's opened the door for us to move into that location. And, and uh, already we're, we're, we're working and preparing that the, the internals of that, organiza- uh, of, that, uh, of that building on Volvo Parkway. We're, we're developing leaders as we go. We we're, we're already have a, 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 a skeleton of a team in place. And we know that God is calling many of you to join us on that mission to Volvo Parkway so that we have a couple of hundred, maybe even 300 individuals from this family of faith go to Volvo Parkway. Uh, Not just so you can move from this room to that room, but so that you can be uh, on mission with other First Norfolk members in that community, around that facility, reaching into that region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 75,000 people in a three-mile radius of that Volvo location. Uh, There are 75,000 people. And we know that not all those 75,000 people are going to church each week. And we know that many of them don't know Jesus. And yet God has given us an opportunity to, uh, to go into that community and to share the good news. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be doing some activities as a church at that location as well as this location. Uh, we're going to launch uh, that uh, new location on January the 14th of 2018, um, the first uh, uh, we'll probably have a Campus Catalyst meeting there in November and in December on Sunday, December the 24th, which is Christmas Eve. Thank you all for keeping up. Um, uh, on Christmas Eve, December the 24th, uh, we're going to have 9.30 worship here, 11 o'clock worship here, and then we're going to do uh, 3 o'clock worship at uh, the Volvo location. And so we're going to have different activities going on over there so that you can see what God is going to do and what he can accomplish, not just at Volvo location, but here at the Kempsville location, how that God is going to open up space and room here so that we can do something, some things here that we have not been able to do in a couple of decades because we've been so squished with space. It's going to be exciting days here to give us room to grow. And, and, and as we look at all the tension and the stress 
that uh, VDOT has created on us, all this construction that has robbed us of parking. And, and that's one of the reasons why we believe that our first priority in 2017 was to have this new location to relieve some of the tension and the stress and the struggle that, that this construction has created for us. We saw it as an opportunity that God has given us to expand his kingdom. God has given us this wondrous vision where we see hundreds upon hundreds and thousands upon thousands of individuals come to faith in Christ, find life through Christ. This is God's vision, and we're pressing into that vision. It's exciting days for us as a church. It's exciting uh, always to follow in the footsteps that God has given us to follow. But today, what I want us to see as we've been looking at the unsearchable riches of Christ, I want you to under- understand that the vision, that 10-year vision, as big as it may be, talking about 15,000 members and talking about uh, thousands of life groups, and we're talking about, uh, 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 talking about uh, 10 uh, locations and 20 church plants, all that stuff is great and fine and dandy, but everything hinges and begins on what we're going to talk about today. Everything hinges and begins upon the church in relationship to God. And when I say church, I don't mean the organization called First North. I'm talking about the people that God has gathered here in this place, here today. It is all dependent upon you and me as we relate to God, how we view our relationship with him, how we see ourselves in relationship with him, and how we follow in his footsteps, how that we as a church, as individual followers of Christ, will be captured by awe of the holy God, the majestic king of the universe who left heaven's throne to, to, to be born in a manger in a stable so that he might be on a mission to rescue sinners like you and me from our sin and, and, and provide a way of escape from, from our own dismal swamp of despair and give us new life through his resurrection from the dead. Today, we, we're a people who have been purchased by God's grace, and we have an opportunity to worship the one who has given us life. The question is, do we see God in all of his glory and all of his grandeur? It's, it's that encounter with a holy God that shapes our pursuit of this vision. It, it, it shapes everything about our life and about our church. It all begins here, and that's, that's what we're looking at today. The Apostle Paul was, was writing to believers in Corinth, and at the, at the hinge point of his letter, even though there are 13 chapters in 2 Corinthians, I believe that 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 is the hinge point of, of this letter, this second letter to the church at Corinth. And in this letter, Paul, Paul wants us to understand the, the power of the vision that, that he was pursuing. And that was a vision that was built not upon his own ability. It wasn't built on his strategizing. It wasn't built on, on his resources, but it was built on God and Paul's relationship to God. Today, let, let's, let's see the holy God moving us forward victoriously in Christ and taste the triumph that Jesus offers. See, that's, that's our vision of God. He's the one that is leading, and we're the ones that need him to lead. Don't, don't you feel that? Don't you know that? I mean, he's the one that's leading, but don't you know that you're the one that needs him to lead? 
Don't you need him to lead you on this journey in this life, today, tomorrow, the next day? And the good news is that God is the one who is leading. Look, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's, here's the passage I want us to kind of step into today. Paul writes, he says, now thanks be to God who always, now underline always because always is a big word, who always, uh, in the Greek it's pantote, pantote, pantote. I just like saying that. Don't you like that? Don't you want to say it, don't you? Pantote. None of you are courageous enough to say it. Pantote, yes. I love that word because it means always. I mean, always. It means there's never a time where he's not. He is always. So, so now thanks be to God who always, Pantote, is leading us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So, so here, here's Paul. He says, now thanks be to God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I've been talking a lot, he says, and now I'm going to stop. And I'm telling you how I went to, from, uh, to Troas and where I've been and what I've been doing. But, but let me stop in verse 14. Let me tell you the plumb line for my ministry, for my life, for everything that I do. Here's the plumb line. Here is the, the, the standard. It is thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. All right, so, so what's he talking about here? Well, he's saying, here's, here's the good news. We can experience triumph, but that taste of triumph that saturates our daily lives, that, that, that comes from God. It's not something that we do for ourselves. You realize that, okay? Everything that is, that is written here is all about what God is doing, not what Paul is doing. It's, Paul's not the initiator. Paul is the responder. We are not the initiators. We are the responder. God's the one who's leading. I'm not leading myself. When I lead myself, I'm in trouble. Do you realize that? Blind leading the blind. Whenever I'm leading myself, I am the blind leading the blind. But when God is leading me, I can count on him always leading me in triumph in Christ. Now, why would Paul make that statement? Well, as you look at the, by the way, it's one Greek word that says leads us in triumph. That's one Greek word. Uh, uh, Now, thanks be to God who always, and this one Greek word leads us in triumph. Now, what is that Greek word talking about? Well, as Paul uses that word, he's painting the picture of a Roman general who goes to a foreign land, who conquers that foreign land, brings back those whom he has liberated from that foreign land, brings them back to Rome in this wonderful procession of victory and triumph. And as the general uh, rides into Uh, The streets of Rome, all the people are gathered around celebrating, thanking, 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 praising, 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 awesome, awesome, awesome. Now that's the picture of that verb. As Paul uses it, he's talking about how that God invaded enemy territory in which he was a slave to sin and that God set him free. And as we look at our lives, if we're going to walk in victory, if we're going to taste triumph today, then it begins in this one place that God captures us by his grace. Have you been captured by God's grace? I mean captured by God's grace. I'm not talking about you're a church-going person. I'm not talking about that. Look, I've been a church-going person all my life. Blah. 
I'm, I'm serious. I mean, come on. It's not about going to church. I, I like that you're here, but if, if, if all you have is just showing up and sitting in a seat and that's all there is to this moment for you, then I got to tell you, it's not enough. You're wasting your time. See, this moment should be a reflection of a heart that's already been captured by God's grace. What I mean by captured by God's grace, I mean this. Now, uh, the, the video a few moments ago, that was Kurt Breland, our Mr. Missions, he referred to it. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, okay, so we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourself in lust of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath just as the others. That's that's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You know what he's saying? He's saying that there was a moment when I was dead. In fact, there there is a moment when we're all dead because of our sin. We're stuck in the darkness. We're living in the despair. We're we're, we're going through the motions of a dungeon-like life, and we have no escape. There is nothing that will shatter the cell uh, that our sin and our shame has created. We're surrounded in our soul. The icy grip of, of our own failures is strangling our soul. We are dead on the inside because of our sin. We are without hope because we are without God. In, our, in this world. See, our sin is not some minor malady that we need a little bit of good, uh, uh, good juice to overcome. Uh, our sin is, is a crime against the holiness of God himself, and our smallest infraction against that holiness has separated us from God, and there's no way we can bridge the distance. You and I are separated from God by our sin. We're stuck in the cell and the prison and the chains of our own making called sin, and we have no hope of escape. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, we, even when uh, we, we were dead in our trespasses and uh, our sin, even when we were stuck in our death uh, march and, and, and despair, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he's made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, by grace, by God's grace, you have been saved. Now, that changed my life when I saw Jesus in all of his glory. And when I saw Jesus as the one who, who gave his life, God became man, uh, born in Bethlehem, lived his life without sin, blemish, or fault, who, who gave his life in my place, took the punishment and the wrath that my sin demands and deserves. Jesus took it upon himself, and he died for me, a sinner. And he was buried, and he was raised again so that I could not only be forgiven my sin, but have new life. When I saw Jesus in all of his glory, and I recognized the grace that God provides for a sinner like me to give me a new life, in that moment, God captured me by his grace. And everything changed. Everything changed. My mind, my thoughts, my life, my my foundation, everything changed. Everything changed. What about you? See, for Paul, it changed like that. Paul had been living his life trying to be a good religious person. He had been trying to be a good moral man, and he was a good moral man, and he was a good religious person, but he was still stuck in his cell of shame and pain and sin. And he couldn't, he couldn't work his way out of his imprisonment. And then God sent Jesus 
to invade that territory in which Paul lived and set Paul free through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And Paul met Jesus on a road to Damascus, and Paul never got over grace wrecking his life. Have you experienced that grace? Has it captured your heart? I'm not talking about has the, has the religious efforts of, of a church, uh, has that dominated your mindset? No, no, no. That's a theological term meaning fooey. Being captured by grace means that we're walking in a relationship with the living Jesus Christ. And it changes everything. It's touched every aspect of my attitude, my actions, my heart, my mind. It's changed me. What about you? Guys, anything less than that, and it's not good enough. See, that's the way God designed grace. He designed it so it would capture us. Paul said, I've been captured by God's grace. I'm I'm being led along along in this parade of triumph and praise to God who who has captured me out of grace my sin through the death of Jesus on the cross. And, and the thing about Paul is he never got over it. He was just as crazy about that grace a decade after he met Jesus as he was the day he met Jesus. He never got over that grace. I think one of our problems is that we get over that grace. We get over it. Take it for granted. Think we deserve it. We get over the grace. Kind of like a new car. Y'all, y'all know a new car. You go to the, uh, to the lot and you, and you pick out the new car. and it, you, 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 It's got the bright color that you like and it's got the leather interior that you love and it's got all the bells and the whistles and the electronics and the consoles and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you, you sit down in that new car and you put the little key fob over here and you push the little button you grin a little bit because you are satisfied. That's really cool. And, and you're thinking, man, my life, you, you, you just, the smell. What about the smell? That, that new car smell, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's just, oh, it smells so good. And then you drive it off the lot and you lose $20,000. But anyway, it, it, uh, well, whatever it is. I, you know, sometimes the new smell's worth it. But anyway, uh, you drive it off the lot. And you, but, but man, you, you take care of that car because you, you are captured by its newness. I mean, you're captured by that smell. You're captured by the, by, by the shine. You're you, so much so that you, you take it and, and man, you're, you, you, you're, you're washing it every day and you're waxing it every week and you're, and you're, you're, you're keeping the inside spotless. The windshield's pristine and, and, and you're so excited and you, and, and, and there is nobody, I mean, nobody, not, not friend, not father, not mother, not grandmama, not, not children. Nobody's going to bring a cup of coffee into that car and spill it and despoil it and now you're not going to have nobody's going to eat in that car that's never going to happen that is that's a new car you park it in the garage you take care of when you park in the in, in the walmart you go to the walmarts and you park it you park it way out in back 40 so nobody's going to ding it with their piddly, pit nanny car. That's your new car. You want to take care of it, right? You know what I'm talking about. I've never owned a new car, but that's how I imagine it would be. 
You, you, you just, man. But eventually the new wears off. Eventually the commute commands coffee, even at the expense of the carpet. It comes a time where the, the scent is no longer as new. You don't wash it every week. You might, you might wash it every month. You never wax it anymore. You don't, you, you just, you got over it. And guys, I got to tell you, nothing wrong with getting over a new car. Feel free. But God help us. God help us not to get over his grace. And I think that's part of our problem. We've gotten over the grace that has rescued us. So Paul says, I, I'm a prisoner of God. I, I, I've, been, I, I've been captured by my sin, but then God came and set me free. And now he's leading me in triumph. And the only way I can taste triumph every day and it saturate my soul every day is when I return to the grace that has rescued me. And I don't get over it. And I live captured by it day by day by day. But then Paul goes on and he says, not only, not only was I set free from something, but I was also set into something. Not only was he set free from captivity to sin, but the picture of the, uh, of the verb led into triumph is literally a picture of I'm out of this imprisonment and now I am a prisoner of God. Now I am in captivity to God. Now, I am no longer a servant to sin, no longer a slave in my cell of sin and shame. Now, I am a slave of God. I belong to him. I'm in captivity to him. He is my king. He is my boss. He is my Lord. I serve him. So, what we need to know, if we're going to live today and tomorrow and the next day with the taste of triumph saturating and soaking our soul, it's because we know that God captures us by his grace, but he captures us for his glory. Do you realize, and if you don't, please let me tell you, do you realize that you and I were not rescued from our sins so that we could just be happy, happy, happy? I never get a lot of people cheering on that one. They, they just not, not, woo, yeah, amen, preach it, pastor. Not a lot of that. Do you realize that, that, that God did not set us free from the cell of our sin and capture us by his grace so that, so that we could be comfortable? He didn't do it so we could be comfortable. He didn't, he, he didn't do it so, so that we could be happy or comfortable. He didn't do it so that we could have our way. The reason God has rescued us from the cell of our sin and shame was so that we would serve him. Period. That's it. That's all. Nothing else. So that we would serve him. I'm amazed sometimes because so often we, we get this confused. And, and, and this is what really messes us up as a church. It's what really messes us up as followers of Christ is we believe that God saved us so that we could serve ourselves. 
But that's just not true. You don't find it anywhere in Scripture. What the Bible says is that we've been saved so that we would serve God and His glory. Flip over just a few verses in in, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 5. Look at verse 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Now just listen to what Paul writes. He says, "For for the love of Christ constrains us. For we judge thusly. That if one died for all, then all have died. Now verse 15. And Jesus, he, died for all. So that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You get the picture? You and I have been rescued from the pit of hell so that we could serve God. So that we could give our lives for the one who died for us and rose again. We've been rescued from sin's embrace. Not so that we could pursue our own passions and pleasures. But so that we could pursue his passion and his pleasure. Uh, Paul rightly calls himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ. A servant. A a slave to God. A prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that's. That's who we are. We don't like to talk about it like that because we like to paint the picture of everything is just, you know, woo, 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 woo. And, and it is, but, at, woo, 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 y'all got that? Okay. And so that's a happy dance kind of thing. I don't, but it, the purpose, the reason I'm here, it is not to pursue what I want. The, the reason we're here is to pursue what God wants. Our highest ambition, our greatest goal, the, the thing that should saturate and soak every aspect and every decision of our life is not what makes me smile, but what makes God smile. Again, this is what messes up churches. This is what messes up our lives. The reason, listen, the reason perhaps, perhaps maybe you're here today and you're limping along in this Christian life and you're, you're trying to, to live in the victory, but it seems like sin is always winning and circumstances are always mar- uh, uh, hammering down on you and, and there's nothing, you, you, you just don't seem to get a taste of victory or, 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 or a taste of triumph in the midst of everything that's going on around you. Could I suggest maybe, just maybe that today, if you would set your goal as God's glory and, and not your own happiness or pleasure or escape from suffering or, or your personal comfort, if you would just reorient the way that you live your life today, just this moment, just this hour, if you would just say, God, whatever it takes to make you smile, that's what I'm going to do. No matter what it means for me, no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, no matter what the price I've got to pay, whatever it is that's going to bring you pleasure. That's what I'm going to chase today. God, whatever you want, it doesn't matter if it costs me uh, 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 money or if it costs me time or if it costs me my very life. Oh God, whatever you want, I want to live for your glory for you are the one who died for me so that I might live and I live for you today. Maybe that's how we get to triumph. Maybe it's not Maybe it's not everything working out our way. You know? I mean, i got to tell you, 
the, the days of my greatest misery and most profound heartbreaks are the days when I was chasing something other than God's glory. And the days where I can taste triumph even in the worst of moments. And the days when I can taste triumph even in the most profound pain. It's when I settle myself in on this track. And I say, God, I belong to you. I live for you. However you want me to live. Whatever you want me to do. Whatever is going to be pleasing to you, God, that's what I'm going to do. And I can taste triumph in my soul. So what are we supposed to do? And again, Paul doesn't leave us guessing about um, uh, how to serve God. He, He doesn't leave us guessing about what to do next. He says, all right, so I'm on this parade of, 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 of celebration and victory and triumph, and I'm following after God. God is leading me along in this triumph because I'm in Christ, and I belong to him, and I'm immersed in him. And, and so now what I'm supposed to do is be the instrument by which I make Jesus known. See, God captures us by his grace, and he captures us for his glory And he captures us so that we would share life that's found in Christ with everyone we encounter. Through us, verse 14, through us diffuses the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in every place. Through you and me as followers of Christ. Verse 15, he talks about being the aroma of life and the aroma of death. We are to be the fragrance and the aroma of Jesus Christ to everyone we encounter. Do you realize that? Fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, you know what that means? It means we got to tell people who Jesus is. You and I need to start sharing with people who are drowning in their despair and their sorrow and their misery and their lostness. They're without hope because they're without God in this world. They're separated from God by their sin. They're stuck in the cell of their sin and shame. We need to share with them the rescuer. His name is Jesus. We need to tell them who Jesus is. That's diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in every place. But also we need to be the aroma of Christ. We are to God the aroma of Christ, the aroma that gives life to those who are going to live. He's saying the gospel itself should shape the way I live in relationship to people around me. And can I just ask you, Do people ever smell Jesus on you? I mean, it's more important for us to suffer a wrong than to get our way if that means we're going to show people who Jesus is. It's more important for us to take the hurt than it is to defend our ego or our place, or our position, if that's going to show who Jesus is. 
It's more important for us to be kind even in the face of people who are unkind because that's going to show who Jesus is. When, when you're around people at work or at, at school or whether you're at people in your neighborhood, do they smell Jesus on you? See, that's, that's the taste of triumph for us. It's not that we get our own way. It's not that we defend our ego or our place or our position. It's that we display Jesus. And we tell others how that Jesus can give them life in the face of their death. My prayer for us today is that we would, each one, be captured by God's grace. so that we might serve his glory and share life found in Christ with those who are far from God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? These uh, moments that we've gathered, I I just want to ask you uh, if, if you would just stop here and think. See, I, I really do believe that one of the reasons we don't taste triumph is because, because we don't, but we've gotten over the grace that has captured our hearts. Even as followers of Jesus, the grace that captured our hearts has, has grown cold. The, 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 the smell has, has grown stale, and, and, and it should never be that way, but this is a moment right here, right now. This is a moment where, where my prayer is that we would be awakened again to the grace that has captured us, the grace that's found through Jesus Christ that takes us in our sin and in our shame and in our pain, that, that, that takes us swallowed up in our fears and, and reminds us again that, that because of Jesus, we've been, we've been set free from from. from the condemnation and the, and the shame and the cell of our pain and, and, and the sin that has separated us from God. We've been set free through Jesus and we've been brought into the family of God. And so now I, I, I pray that we would be captured again by this wondrous grace that swallows up our fear and, 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 and unleashes us to live for God's glory and share life with those who are lost so in these moments, as we, as, we, as we spend these next few moments together, I, I, I want to encourage you just to, to focus in on that grace of God that has set you free, the grace of God that has given you life, the grace of God that, that, that makes you part of God's family and, and helps you live fearlessly and ferociously for God's glory. So God, in these moments, as we worship you, as we adore you, I pray that you would capture our hearts with your grace again. Help for us to see again in a fresh way how that you have given us life and hope and peace and courage. How that you give us new life and, and give us triumph in the midst of our life. Now, God, speak. Oh, speak. Spirit of God, speak. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.